We're taking a break today from preaching through the Gospel of John to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, um, a part of our Bible that maybe we don't visit very much, but that's right after uh, 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st 2nd Kings, you'll find 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles 34, and I want to talk to you today on the eve of another 4th of July about reviving the nation. There have been many dark chapters in the American story uh, when it seemed as if the nation would not survive. Perhaps no moment was more dire than what George Washington faced in the long, tiresome winter of 1777 and 8 while his army was encamped at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. That year of the Revolutionary War had been one of setbacks and devastating losses. And as Washington's men settled into Valley Forge, they were cold, starving, undersupplied, and desperate. More men were dying of exposure and smallpox than from battle. And there were reports that men were so hungry that they were boiling their shoe leather to eat. Many of Washington's freedom fighters were also considering deserting and returning home. On top of that, as Washington entered Valley Forge, he learned that the U.S. Congress was broke and they were unable to continue funding the war effort. And so by all appearances, it seemed as if the American cause was slipping away even before it could barely get started. And it was at this critical hour that Washington resorted to prayer, as we often see immortalized in those paintings where he is bent kneeling in the snow, beseeching the Almighty for help. And it is in the doldrums of that harsh winter that Washington then ordered his chaplains to begin to conduct worship services for his troops. One of Washington's chaplains was a 30-year-old man named Israel Evans. And he preached a sermon on the theme of thanksgiving from Psalm 115. And the message sparked a revival in the camp. Not only did hundreds of men come under Holy Spirit conviction and they got right with God, but it produced a morale boost that inspired the beleaguered troops to keep on fighting. And in fact, as providence would have it, not long after the revival began, several wealthy Philadelphians, led by a patriot named Robert Morris, donated their fortunes to continue to fund the war effort. And so historians look back on Valley Forge as a great turning point in the American Revolution. They entered the camp beleaguered, outnumbered, defeated, and starving. And when they left, well, a revival had made all the difference in giving them courage and inspiration and strength to keep going. Later, Washington wrote a letter to Israel Evans, that chaplain who preached that revival sermon. And here's what Washington told him. It will ever be the first wish of my heart to aid your pious endeavors to inculcate a due sense of the dependence we ought to place in that wise and powerful being on whom alone our success depends. 
He said, the hand of God's providence has been so evident in all of this that one must be worse than an infidel to not acknowledge it. Now today we are in one of those dark chapters as Washington and his men were at Valley Forge. And if ever there was a time for the need of revival, it is now. We may not be fighting for our independence from a foreign enemy, but we are in a heated battle today, make no mistake about it, for the soul of America. Will we descend into the moral abyss or will we hold fast to the truths that founded us? Will we fall into socialism and become a footnote in the history books or will we turn the tide of evil back and reclaim our country? Ronald Reagan said this in 1984. He reminded us, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Now the good news today is that revival is possible because it is still alive in the hearts of God's people. Now let me define for you what I mean by revival. Let's start with that word itself. When you revive something, that means to bring something dead back to life. You can't revive something that has never been alive in the first place. And that's why we say that revival is different from evangelism. Evangelism is preaching the gospel to the lost in order that they might come to life, be saved, be born again. But revival awakens the church, awakens the saved from a state of spiritual slumber, and the result of that is that it always spills over and touches the surrounding culture. I've defined revival this way. In my own words, I would say that revival is a move of God among the people of God, accompanied by the power of God, resulting in new repentance, faith, and obedience. And just as you need to take a bath every once in a while, you and I need to be revived in our spirit because we are leaky vessels. We are prone to sin and to complacency and to falling into old routines. And we desperately as a church need revival from time to time. Now, one of the greatest revivals in the Bible is recorded in the two Old Testament books of Second Chronicles and Second Kings. They record a lot of the same events just in parallel. It happened during the reign of King Josiah, the boy king, as we might call him. He ruled over the southern kingdom of Judah. And it was just a few decades before the nation was invaded by the big bad Babylonians and the Jewish people there were taken captivity and sent into exile. So in this message today, what we are going to do is we're going to study the components of Josiah's revival here in 2 Chronicles 34, and I'm hoping and I'm praying that what God did for Judah in the twilight years of its life cycle, that God will do the same in America as we see the portents and the signs all around us telling that we are facing the end if something drastic doesn't happen. So what are the elements of revival? Well, we're going to look to Josiah for inspiration. First off, I see from this text, number one, Revival rekindles a wanting for God. It rekindles a wanting for God. Let's read 
starting in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 4. And Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places the Asherim, and the carved and metal images. They chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved and the metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. First thing revival does is it kindles a wanting for God. Now, the books of Kings and Chronicles record... Listen to this, that there were 20 kings in total who ruled over the southern realm of Judah. Remember, the kingdom is split at this time. You have Israel in the north and Judah in the south. There were 20 kings who ruled over the Davidic dynasty in the southern kingdom of Judah. Of those 20 kings, listen to this, only eight were said to be good kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And Josiah has the distinction of being the last good king to reign over Judah. Now, Josiah was preceded by two of Judah's worst kings, a man named Manasseh and another man named Ammon. Not only did they worship the false gods, but actually Manasseh, if you go back and read his story in chapter 33, he allowed and promoted the worship of Molech in the kingdom, which, if you know anything about that, entailed child sacrifice and even Manasseh the king offered his own sons on the altar of Molech. And I find that an interesting parallel because much like America, we protected the abortion industry for 50 years until last week when the Supreme Court rendered their de decision and overturned Roe v. Wade, taking it back to the states. But don't you see the parallels between Judah at the end of its life cycle and America? We didn't have Molech, but we had a God named Planned Parenthood where a baby could be aborted and sacrificed on the altar of personal convenience. God help us to awaken from that and help us to understand the preciousness of life and that all life needs a chance at achieving its God-given destiny and that even those who have fallen into that sin and been committed an abortion, that God loves them, that there is mercy and grace even for them and that Jesus Christ would restore them and forgive them and take away their shame. But what's remarkable about Josiah is the Bible tells us that he ascended to the throne at only eight years old. And yet the Bible tells us that as a young man, he had a passion, he had a wanting for God. Because it says also in that text that at 16, he began to pursue God with a passion. And by age 20, he issues his first royal decree, which is to purge the kingdom of all the idols and the altars to Baal and the false gods that had been allowed in the kingdom. This was a first step in the right direction for the nation because how many of you know that when God purposes revival in your heart in a personal level, then a lot of times it starts out as a house cleaning. 
you get under some good gospel preaching, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God shines the spotlight of heaven into your life, and you realize there's some ungodly things that I've allowed to live in my house, in my life, and in my kingdom, and if I'm going to be right with God, I've got to throw some things out. You've got to throw out all the false gods and the idols that have taken up space and that have taken up a precedent in your life. And in order for revival to begin, you have to ask yourself today, what do I need to throw out? I can't answer that for you, but God in the person of the Holy Spirit can uh, help to reveal those things in your life that are ungodly or unlike Him and that need to be purged from your life. Maybe there's alcohol sitting in your fridge right now that you need to go home and you need to pour it down the drain and you need to not go back to it. Maybe there's some porn on your phone or on your laptop at home and you need to go home and burn the hard drive and start afresh and anew and say, God, you've got to deliver me for the sake of my family, for the sake of my wife, and the sake of my church. Maybe there's some harmful obsessions that you have with social media or money or sports and it's become an idol in your life and it's take number one position in your life. It's all you care about. It's all you think about. Maybe there's a spirit of unforgiveness bedded deep in your heart and you're unable to forgive. Friend, that's something that you, can become a false God in your life. Maybe there's an unhealthy relationship that needs to be purged in your life. Maybe there's a demanding job that's eating up your soul and your time and you can't serve God because you're too busy serving mammon. Friend, uh, what do you need to purge today in order to experience revival? You say, what is an idol, preacher? I don't have a statue on a shelf. I'm not bowing down to some kind of Buddha. Well, anything that you love more, fear more, serve more, or value more than God has become an idol to you. And it has to be killed. Just as Josiah took a... No prisoner's approach to expunging all the false gods from the kingdom has to be thrown out. Rekindling a passion for God requires that we repent because we realize God has not been number one in my life. I've allowed other things and other gods to take His place. And you have to reorder and reprioritize your life again. You see, friend, God will not share His throne. God will not share His glory. We have to dethrone sin. We have to dethrone Satan. And we have to enthrone the Savior Jesus Christ in our hearts. The Bible says here that Josiah at 16 years old sought after God. I wonder, are you seeking after God today? Hey, are you meeting Him in the morning? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you opening your Word of God? Do you... Turn on the worship music as you're riding down the road. Are you seeking God today? Do you really want revival? It begins with a want to. You have to desire it as the deer pants for the water brook. So my soul longs for thee. Friend, if you don't want it, He won't send it. The problem is in the church today, I don't think many of us really want revival. We must want God more than the idols we've been serving. And friend, you have to get to a point in your spirit 
where there's a holy discontent. There's a pebble rolling around in your shoe and you say, I can't go on like this anymore. I'm not happy with where I am. There's no peace in my life. My heart is divided between the world and sin and serving God. And I can't do this anymore. I'm dissatisfied with where I am. And I want more of God. You have to repent of a backslidden attitude, of lukewarmness, of a half-hearted devotion to God and want Him more. You see, friend, listen to me. We can have as much of God as we want. The problem is some of us want too little. We say, I'll bring my little thimble to God. God, fill me up. I bring my little Dixie cup. God, fill me up. I'm content with that. Friend, what if God wants to do more? You see, it begins with a wanting, a desire, a seeking after God as 16-year-old Josiah did. Friend, can you really say honestly, I'm seeking God with all that is within me today. If you can't answer that, friend, guess what? You need revival. I need revival. The church needs to be prostrate before God. Asking Him, Lord, I don't even want to read Your Word. I don't feel any desire to pray. God, help me to want You more because I've let too much of this worldly stuff come into my life. Wilbur Reese, an old revivalist, said this years ago, he said, some of us are content with a $3 bag of God. Here's what he said. He said, quote, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. Not enough to make me love a black man or to change my ways. I'll take enough of God to get my fire insurance. But I don't really want him to transform me. Friend, if that's your heart today. This altar ought to be flooded with people. Whose hearts are broken. Because the want to just ain't there. How many of you know God can fix a heart? God can fix a broken heart. God can give you the want to. God can change your heart and your affection and your desires so that all of a sudden you want to feed on His Word. You want to hear the sweet singing and praise of God. You can't get enough of the preaching of the Word of God. Hey, He can give you the want to. But you got to start like Josiah did and seek after Him. By the way, there's another interesting facet of revival history that I notice as I study this passage, and that is how often God sparks revival with young people. Usually starts with youth. Josiah was 16 here. And I think the reason that God starts with young people is because they're not so stuck in their ways. They have zeal. The young people haven't lived long enough to come across a uh, mossy-backed Christian to talk them out of their fervor for Christ. They haven't run into doubters to throw shade on their faith and say, hey, you need to calm down a little bit. You're doing this a little too hard. You're making the rest of us look bad. Josiah was 16 when his reforms began. Listen to this. Charles Spurgeon was 16 when he preached his first sermon. Billy Graham was 19 when he started preaching. John Edwards was 19 when he took his first church. Evan Roberts, who 
was a big mover in the Welsh revival. He was 26 years old. And George Whitfield, when he came to the United States for the first time to preach his revivals in 1738, he was just 24 years old. God always starts revival in the hearts of young people. And by the way, speaking of Whitfield, you know there are many historians who say that if there would have never been a George Whitfield to come to the colonial America and preach, there would have been no United States. Let me give you a little bit of history background on that. George Whitfield was one of the most influential preachers in America's early years, and he was the key figure in the first revival of the nation called the Great Awakening. In his ministry, listen to this, he made 13 trips from England to America to preach. And the crowds that he drew in America were in the thousands, the witnesses say. And miraculously, he preached in a day just in the open air when there was no microphones or amplification of his voice, and yet there were reports of men like Ben Franklin, one of our founding fathers, who wasn't a, a real hardcore believer himself, but he went to hear George Whitfield just to see what all the fuss was about. And Ben Franklin said he could preach and people could hear his voice from half a mile away. I don't know the science behind that, and I don't understand all of that, but I have to believe that the touch of God was on this man's life. In fact, listen to this. On one occasion, Whitfield stood atop a whiskey barrel, and he preached to 10,000 people near the entrance of a coal mine. You see, one of the things that distinguished his ministry from other preachers of that time is he went to where the sinners were. He went to where the outcasts were, where the broken were, where the people who thought they were beyond going to church. Those are the people he sought. And he stood on this barrel and he preached to these miners as they ascended out of the bowels of the earth. And he said that as they preached, the Holy Spirit fell in great power and conviction. And the witnesses say that the miners who stood there in the shift change hearing the preaching of the gospel, hearing it for the first time, that these hard, callous men were broken down into tears. And George Whitfield said in his journal, he said, those tears of repentance flowed and created white gutters down their black, coal-dusted faces. And it was evident that God had moved. Did you know that by the time of his death in 1770, that an inconceivable 80% of the population of the American colonies had heard Whitfield preach? 80%! No radio, no television. In fact, one historian, Benjamin Rice Lacey Jr., wrote this. He said, quote, The course of events which led to the Declaration of Independence, the enthusiasm and the national unity which finally led to the victory of the U.S. colonies would not have been possible had there been no great awakening. Are you getting the picture here, friends? America was started in the fires of a revival. And they tell us in the universities and the colleges that America doesn't have a Christian foundation. That's a lie. To get you to believe some sort of revisionist, secular version of history that's not true. But what made America exceptional and what made this country unique from the beginning is that it started in the birth of a revival through the preaching of Whitfield and Edwards and other men of God. And friend, if there hadn't been a revival at Valley Forge, if there hadn't been a revival among the people who came here on the Mayflower, had there been no Whitfield to preach the gospel, I'm telling you, there would not have been a United States. So why am I so passionate 
and so patriotic about this country because it is the first country that foundation and starting point was with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And where do you think those ideas of made in the image of God, the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, all of those ideals, law, and justice, and freedom, and liberty, where do they come from? They come from this book right here, the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. And friend, I have to believe that if God did a miracle in Josiah's day, if God did a miracle in George Whitfield's day, maybe He'll do a miracle in the age of Derek McCarson and we can see a rekindling, a want for God, the likes of which we've never seen before. Oh, that we put down our phones and our devices and our division and our distractions and get back down to the altar and say, God, change my heart today. Give me a want to. Give me a fire. Lord, I don't love people like I should. Lord, I'm half-hearted. I'm on the fence. I'm not serving you like I should. Hey, there'll be no revival until we get some tears in our eyes and some fire in our belly once again and understand if we don't get after God, you can kiss this country goodbye. And if you're a young person today, if you're 40 and below, and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? Young people, God used Josiah. He can use you. Give Him your heart. Give Him your future and your dreams. You're a prime candidate young person to be a world changer for God. Don't think you have to live like your culture. Don't think you have to be like everybody that you see on TikTok and Instagram. God's eyes are searching for a young woman, for a young man who will say, Lord, all of me I give to you. Do with me what you will. And friend, that's where it starts in the hearts of young people and older folk getting with the young people and saying, hey, don't make the mistakes that I did. Don't treat church as second place. Serve God. Raise a family. Teach Him the Word. And friend, that's how we can have revival in our country once again. There has to be a rekindling, a wanting for God. I can't give it to you. I can't preach it into your heart. But you can find it right here. Asking God, Lord, do something in my heart. Because I can't live this way anymore. Revival rekindles a wanting for God. Number two, look at this. Revival restores the worship of God. Revival restores the worship of God. Notice what verse 8 says. The Bible says in verse 8, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Saphon the son of Hazaliah and Maaseah, the governor of the city, and Joah the son of Johaz, the recorder to, watch this, repair the house of the Lord is God. And they came to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God which the Levites and the keepers of the threshold had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord Gave it for repairing and restoring 
the house. You see, revival not only rekindles a wanting for God, but it restores the worship of God. We see here that the next phase of Josiah's revival was to restore the dilapidated condition of the temple back to her former glory. The previous kings had let the idols and objects of Baal to defile the temple. They neglected to do the necessary repairs. And so the temple, we read, was falling apart. Pretty amazing when you think about that Solomon's temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and they just let it go to waste. You see, in the Old Testament, the temple represented the majesty and the glory of God. It represented God's presence among His people. It was God's house. And if God's house was in disarray and crumbling, then what did that say about the hearts of the people? That they did not value God nor the worship of God very much. Every time I read that passage right there, I think about the story that old Jerry Clower used to tell. The mouth of the south. He used to tell this story about a little Baptist church. They was having a business meeting one evening to discuss some repairs that needed to be done. Well, that got one stingy, mossy back deacon all tore up because he heard that the church was going to spend some money. And this fella hadn't darkened the door of the church in a long time. But by golly, he heard there was going to be a business meeting. And usually people uh, who don't have anything to do with the church, they'll show up for the business meeting. Well, that was what this fellow was like. And so the moderator was giving the topic, and it rose to the topic of a, buying a chandelier for the church. So the floor was opened up for all manner of discussion. And this deacon, he stood up, he said, Sir, I object. I'm against it, and here's my three reasons why. Number one, nobody here even knows how to spell the word chandelier, so how can we order it from the catalog? Number two, if we, even if we get one, nobody here knows how to play it. And number three, we don't need to be spending money on something like a chandelier as much as we need new lights in the sanctuary. <laughs> Now these repairs of Josiah, they would not be cheap. We understand that. But Josiah, the Bible says, spearheaded a stewardship campaign to collect all the needed funds from all over Judah so that the materials could be bought and the workers paid. And once the temple renovations were complete, listen to what the Bible says in 2 Kings 23. It tells us that Josiah... Once the temple was refurbished, led the people in observing Passover, which had not been done for ages. 2 Kings 23 and verse 21, And the king commanded all the people, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God as is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. In other words, when they got the temple back, they began to celebrate and worship and they had a Passover like they hadn't had in ages. Now what's interesting about this Passover, you Bible students, what did it commemorate? Well, Passover was a celebration of the nation's history. When God, through Moses, delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. And the Passover was to commemorate how God had rescued them from slavery and how they had been rescued by 
the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Remember that in the last plague? They sacrificed the spotless lamb. They took the blood. They spread it over the doorposts. And the angel of death, when it came by, if it saw the blood, it passed over that home and the firstborn was spared. In other words, they went back to the basics. They went founding and their beginning, their origin. They went back to their salvation story. And all the elements of the gospel are there right there in the Passover. Salvation and faith and God's wrath and God's mercy and the substitutionary atonement of a sacrifice. And friend, as we look at this in terms of revival, one thing that revival does is it clears away the fog. It removes the distraction. And when revival happens, it takes us back to the basics once again. And worship is restored in our lives just as it was to the people of Judah. They refreshed their history. They thought back about how far God had brought them. They saw how far they had gotten off track they repented of that and they began to give praise and thanks for the patience of God and the faithfulness of God and that God hadn't cast them into judgment yet but there was still mercy that there was still grace and friend I'm telling you when revival hits in the life of the church there's an unction there's a desire uh, to worship God afresh and anew we realize the things that we've neglected we've overcomplicated the things of God and friends sometimes we just need to get back to the basics of prayer and Holy Spirit anointing and preaching and raising up the blood stained banner of the Lord Jesus Christ hey I don't need fog machines I don't need laser shows I don't need technology or man's gimmicks just take me back to the basics and help me to understand what God has done in my life how far He's brought me the judgment I should have got but His mercy was great His grace was unfathomable in my life and friend you say how do you know preacher if I need revival you need revival if amazing grace ain't as amazing as it used to be to you you need revival if preaching doesn't stir your heart anymore. You need revival if you've got closed-fisted and stingy toward God. Some of you haven't given to God in so long you can't even remember. I'm telling you, if you are too stingy to give to God, you need revival. Because He gave you breath. He gave you life. He gave you salvation. And it's time to unloose that grip of money around your heart and give it to God and find that, hey... The more I bless Him, the more He blesses me. Friend, you know when revival is hitting a church, when the old stingy people start giving to God and realize the blessings that they've been missing out on. You know revivals hit the church house when the altar's full and people are saying, Oh God, I forgot how good you've been to me. Oh Lord, you've reminded me of who I used to be and how wretched I was. And Lord, I just want to give you all praise, all glory, and there's excitement once again in the house of God. You see, you need revival if your worship is stale, if your worship is cheap, if your worship is routine, and it doesn't sacrifice anything to God. If you've gotten to that point, you need revival. What is worship? Worship is all that I am. Responding to all that God is. Praising Him for all that God has done. And hoping in all that God is going to do. 
David said it like this in the Old Testament. There's no better way to put it. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some of you used to be excited about serving God. Every time there was something to do in church, your name was signed up. You were excited about serving, excited about soul winning. You were there at the prayer meeting. You were there when the doors were open. And now look at where you are. You, you, you're just half-hearted in your, your service to God. Hey, do you need revival today? God can do it. we got to want it. You say, the things you're talking about, Derek, are impossible. Yeah, I know. With man, it's impossible. But with my God. Why do you think I stayed here as long as I did? Do you know how many opportunities I could have left and gone somewhere else? And I'm not thumping my chest. I'm just telling you the facts. You know why I stayed? Because deep in my heart, I still believe. That God wanted to do something here. And that I hadn't seen Him do it yet. And that my work was not done. And friend, I'm telling you, God's still not done here. He's not released me. He's not let me go. Why? Because there's still revival fire burning in this preacher's heart. There's still souls to be saved. There's still marriages to be put back together. There's still a baptism waters that need to move again. There's still an anointing and a touch of God on this pulpit. And I believe in revival fire and new hearts and revive worship. And God could do it in our time if we wanted it. If we'd let Him. If we'd rush forward and say, God, do it in our time. I believed that God wanted to do great and mighty things at little 875 Montevista Road. And it wasn't my time yet. Because if I left too early, I wouldn't see the people get saved. They got saved right here. I wouldn't get to baptize some of the folks whose lives have been changed right here. In 1904 and 5, the fires of the Welsh revival spread across America. And it changed our country. The greatest awakening in recent history. On November 2nd, 1904, the Supreme Court of Georgia, listen to this, closed so people could attend midday revival. How'd you like to have a move of God so great in our nation that they had to shut things down? Every store, factory, office, even saloons closed in Burlington, Iowa, for a prayer meeting. In Denver, Colorado, the mayor called for a day of prayer on January 20th, 1905, and the whole city was shut down and churches were packed. What about godless California? In Los Angeles, the Grand Opera House was filled past midnight with drunks and prostitutes seeking salvation. God's not done. The rapture hadn't happened yet. Right? I'm still here. You're still here. That means He's not done with us. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, quote, The only reason we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. Number three, and I'm finished. Revival returns us to the Word of God. 
restores the worship of God, rekindles the wanting for God, and returns us to the Word of God. Very quickly, verse 14, And when they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. And then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphon. And Saphon brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it in the hand of the overseers and to the workmen. And then watch this. Saphon the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Saphon read from it before the king. Watch this, verse 19. And when the king heard these words from the law, he tore his clothes. Tearing the clothes, rending the garments in repentance after hearing the word of God. You see, as Josiah's men began to restore the temple, the Bible says that they made a tremendous discovery off in some neglected corner contained in a closet somewhere was the first five books of Moses covered in dust, neglected and forgotten. Almost six decades, the Word of God had not been unrolled and read in the kingdom of Judah. And it's brought out. King, we, we, we found the book. He'd never even heard the Word of God spoken in his whole lifetime. And as they began to unroll it and the priests read it, He fell under great conviction. When was the last time the Word of God truly pricked your heart? When was the last time the preaching of the Word of God stirred you? Perhaps the single greatest way that America could experience revival is if the Word of God is actually read and taught and preached and obeyed in churches and in homes. We think we need all this other stuff. To make God great. To aid the gospel. To bring people to Jesus. When we have all the answers right here in black and white. You cannot improve on the Word of God. And churches can have revival again. When some preachers who've forgotten the book dust it off and repent. And say, Lord, I've gone wayward from you. And I'm just going to open the book unapologetically. Each of the people, what it says, oh, there'll be a rejoicing when the ears hear the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, there's enough dust on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. That's the kind of preaching that offends. The people who just want their ears tickled, thank you, Pastor, I'm gone. That's what our generation wants. I'm not here to tell you what you want. I'm here to tell you what you need. And what we need is the Word of God. Because if you haven't checked, our country's going to hell. And we as God's people can't back up, can't retreat on this stuff. They did that in Judah for 60 years. And look at where it took them. Earlier this year, they did a nationwide survey of a thousand pastors from various denominations, and they found in the survey that only 37% of pastors had a biblical worldview. Does the church need revival? Absolutely. And where does it need to begin? Right here in the pulpit. 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you went to a church for years and years and years where they watered down the gospel. They preached a man-centered message. They compromised here or there. And your soul dried up like last year's corn shucks. And God brought you to a church where they do believe the inspired Word of God and the pastor isn't afraid to preach it. Some of you have been there and you know where that leads you. And that's why you're here today. Lifeway Research says 87% of U.S. households own a Bible. And yet, paradoxically, we are the most biblically illiterate American culture that's ever been. And we have Bibles on our phones, Bibles on our laptops, three or four Bibles at home. If some of us are honest... We got our Bible out of the back seat of the car before church today. And we went a whole week and didn't feed on the Word of God. Let me tell you, that's when you need revival. Because there are Chinese Christians meeting underground in little dark holes. Because they can't do what we're doing today. And they would give their left arm for one page of the Bible. And we won't give God five minutes. This is how we get back our country. The Word of God. The worship of God. The wanting for God. Because it's the way we started out. George Washington, our first president, he said this, quote, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. John Adams, our second president, he said this, quote, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should relegate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity towards his fellow man, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise this region would be. President William McKinley, who was assassinated before Teddy Roosevelt became president, he said this in his inauguration address in 1897, There is no safer reliance than upon the God of our fathers who has singularly favored the American people in every national trial and who will not forsake us as long as we obey His commandments and walk humbly in His footsteps. My heart longs for a leader who talks like that. Imperfect men, sinful men, broken men, yes. But they had enough wisdom to know I can't govern a nation if I don't open the book of books and feed my soul. And friend, don't think that you're strong enough or you're good enough or you're wise enough to govern your job or your family or your everyday life without opening the Word of God every day and feeding your soul on eternal truth. You can't do it. I can't do it if we want revival. Let's turn the TV off. Let's stop the movie. Let's turn it off and get into the Word of God and feed our souls with something that's going to sustain us. Maybe God will do the same thing in our day that God did in Josiah's day. You know, the Bible says if we kept reading that God told Josiah, Josiah, because you've done what is right, my judgment will not come in your lifetime. But a couple of generations later, the judgment did come, and Josiah never saw it. Why? Because they had revival. 
There is no plan B besides you and me. If we see revival happen in our family, in our church, in our community, it's going to be because we return to the Word of God. We revitalize the worship of God. We want God. And perhaps we could be the Josiah generation. Yes, we see the signs all around us. We know our country is in the death spiral. We're there. Maybe we could be the Josiah generation that stays the judging hand of God for one more generation for your babies and your grandchildren so that they can have a chance. Maybe we can be the Josiah generation. And finish with this. This is from Paul Harvey. He said this, Suppose one day our civilization was destroyed and our cities were laid to waste. Suppose in 20,000 years an archaeologist from another society were rummaging through the ruins of America and if he could dig up one penny, he would know a lot about us. The coin is a blend of metals so we would know that we were scientists who understood metallurgy. From the shape, a perfect circle, he would know that we understood geometry. This was an old penny with wheat on the back, so he would surmise that we were an agricultural country who regarded their crops as a major source of wealth. With the date on the face of the coin, he would conclude that we knew arithmetic and had a calendar. The portrait of Abraham Lincoln would mark us as artists who had an advanced society. And the words United States would tell him that we were a federated group of local communities bound together by a strong central government. The phrase, e pluribus unum, would tell him we were scholars who knew other languages. The word liberty on the face of the penny would let the archaeologists know our country sought to guarantee freedom for its citizens. Finally, the motto, in God we trust, would tell him that we believed in a deity and had a moral law. That somehow we've grown strong and mighty under God's hand of blessing. And then considering the small copper penny, he might wonder, where did such a nation go astray? It's happened because we thought we could be the exception. That we could be good without God. And friend, that's why we need revival today. Are you burdened for your country? Your community? Your loved ones? Can I have somebody play something on the piano? Whatever the Lord leads you to play. Our altar's open right now. I don't know what you need in your life. But I'm going to be down here on this altar. And I'm going to be praying for God. Because there have been times when my want to wasn't what it should have been. When I didn't want God and I didn't read my Bible and I didn't pray and I wasn't burdened for souls. Friend, do you need revival today? I do. I need God every day. If you're burdened for your country, for your family, if you need Jesus today, hey, the hot dogs and hamburgers can wait. Come down here and cry some tears you ain't cried in a long time. Find God to be merciful and gracious. Ask God to save your babies and your grandchildren. Ask God to give you a new heart. Ask God to break your heart for the things that break His heart. 
Hey, I can't fix this country, but God can. I can't fix your marriage, but God can. I can't make you want Him more, but the Holy Spirit can. I can't save anybody, but Jesus can. I can't break the chains of addiction in your life, but I know a man who can. Oh, He's a good God. And He's a merciful God. Oh, Lord, forgive us today. We've strayed far from Your ways, Lord. Forgive us of a cold heart, Lord. We hadn't wanted You like we should. Forgive us today for dust on our Bibles, Lord. Forgive us today of hardening our heart and not running to You. God, forgive us today in this country for complaining and whining when we've been given so much. Oh, God, forgive us for taking for granted all your many blessings. Lord, if you gave us what we deserved, you'd open the ground wide open and swallow us into hell. But, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for grace and mercy, Lord. We pray for our schools, for our families, for our churches. Save our leaders, Lord. Oh, our leaders are so backward. God, save Joe Biden. Save Kamala Harris. Oh, God, save Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Save the Republican Party, all the politicians, Lord. That have sold their country for profit. That don't long for justice anymore. Save the judges on the Supreme Court. Those ruling in cases. Oh God, we need you. Lord, if you don't save us. (laughs) Lord, it will be on our watch. It was our generation who watched the ship go down and didn't do anything. Oh, God. (laughs) We repent for our nation, Lord. They have not the wherewithal to repent in themselves because they don't have the Spirit of God within them. Lord, we repent. And we understand that if revival is going to happen, it's going to be because we draw a circle around ourselves And we don't leave that circle until we say, God, move everything in this circle. So change our hearts today, Lord. Help our want to. Burden us for our lost. Give us new tears to cry. Some of us ain't cried in a long time. Give us, God, a burden and a hunger for Your Word. May we realize, Lord, that there are things worth fighting for. Freedom and liberty and equality in this country. It is worth fighting for. It is good. And we can have a revival in this country again. Turn our hearts toward You, O God. 
Right now, Lord, restore marriages. Right now, Lord, break chains of addiction, we're asking. Right now, Lord, put, put back together the broken pieces. Right now, Lord, do something in our hearts and lives that will be a spiritual landmark for years to come. Lord, and for that one who's lost and undone, God, we pray that they'd find Jesus. All they have to say is, Save me, Lord, a sinner. We thank you, Lord, that you've met us in this place today. That God will not leave here the same that we were when we entered. That we'll say, It was good to be in the house of God. May we go forth from this place, Lord, with fresh wind and fresh fire. Because we can't live on yesterday's blessing. We need a fresh anointing. 